0: I found my dad's Playboy collection. I was an adolescent, probably somewhere between the age of 10 and 13. I'd been raised in a very conservative Christian home and had been taught that pornography was a sin. It was something you weren't supposed to look at, pictures of nude women, nude men. No, no, no. That's a no-no. But yet, one day, I was looking for something, can't remember what it was, and instead of finding it... I found my dad's Playboy collection. I, I was shocked. Shocked for two reasons. Number one, that my dad had Playboy magazines. And number two, I was shocked what was inside of it. I enjoyed it looking at it, but I was shocked. I mean, I, I'd never expected to see things like that. Well, pornography has been something that we as homo sapiens have had it a part of us for thousands and thousands of years. It's just a fascination to see the the human body naked and what is interesting is that those individuals who believe that porn is morally acceptable it's it's going up back in twenty eighteen Gallup poll conducted a a survey and in their survey they discovered that 43% of those surveyed believe that porn is morally acceptable. That was up just 7% from the previous year, 2017. Well, here we are four years later in 2022 and there continues to be an increase in individuals who believe that pornography is morally acceptable. Not only that, There are Christians today, and the number is on the rise, who see pornography as beneficial. Beneficial to their marriages and beneficial in their own private life. But just as pornography has always been with us, there has been another part of of humanity that has been fighting it. The fight against pornography really took off in the 1980s. It became a popular issue among evangelical Christians. Ronald Reagan in the 1980s, possibly because of the influence of the religious right, made a commission on pornography, the goal to stamp it out. Well, for 10 years or so, they they made that effort to stamp it out, however— In the 1990s, a man named Bill Clinton entered into the White House. The Republican moralists went after him because of his sexual exploits. Remember that? Well, what's fascinating is that even though Bill Clinton was impeached, his popularity actually soared during that period of time. Well, Republicans realized that pornography is a political issue was not getting them the traction they needed, so they shifted away from it, and instead, they focused their attacks on gay marriage and reproductive freedom. And then 2015 hit. A man named Donald Trump decided to run for president. When he finally received the nomination from the Republican Party, evangelical leaders rallied behind him. And in doing so, they suspended their fight against porn. Why? Well, they feared that it would lead to attacks on Donald Trump. I mean, there's there were so many things that came out in the media about Donald Trump and sexuality, far greater than Bill Clinton. And yet Republicans and a group a large group of Christians supported Donald Trump and basically kind of turned their their face away from the issue. So it was during the 2018, during right around that period, that when Gallup did that poll, that's why perhaps the number went up. Pornography, because it wasn't being attacked anymore, actually was able to enter into the political and cultural mainstream. Well, Donald Trump lost in 2020. And when he lost, the crusade against pornography, it was back on. Well, in their renewal of their efforts to fight against pornography, a group of individuals came together back in the 1980s and formed morality and media. It was an anti-porn lobby group. They had been kind of Squelched during that period of time of Bill Clinton, Donald Trump. They realized, however, that if they rebranded themselves, they changed their name. They might get more traction again. So they changed it from Morality and Media to National Center on Sexual Exploitation. Think about the just the shift in name. Morality and Media, eh? But National Center. On sexual exploitation. Come on, who can't get behind that, right? Well, one of the reasons why it gained traction, this rebranding, why it worked, was they conflated consensual sexual expressions such as pornography, sexting, sex work. They took that and they conflated it with serious sexual crimes that the majority of individuals would, would be against, such as sexual abuse and human trafficking. What they did is they brought these two issues. They set them next to each other, and they saying, if you're against one, you're against the other. One will lead to the other. Pornography will lead to sexual abuse. Pornography will lead to human trafficking, which is not necessarily true. So that's one attack. On pornography. There was another attack, and that's our main focus on this podcast today. In September of 2020, 2022, just last month, in the magazine Wired, there was an article entitled The Ungodly Surveillance of Anti Porn Shameware. What a title! The Ungodly Surveillance of Anti Porn Shameware. This was a now going to be another prong to fight against pornography. Well, what is it? These are what are called accountability apps. And there are three that are dominant right now. One is ever accountable. The second is accountable to you. And the third, which the article focused on, is called covenant eyes. This article, when it looked at Covenant Eyes, they realized that this was not just a fluke. They were having success. Individuals looked at their books and discovered they were making a profit. Are you ready for this? Of $26 million a year. Their app was raking in $26 million a year. Net profit. 100,000 downloads. When you think about just the name of it, it kind of gives you a clue what you ought to be looking for. The word covenant appears quite frequently in the Old Testament. It's a covenant. It's agreement between two individuals. And so these apps are between two individuals. An individual who is wrestling with pornography and the individual who will hold them accountable. So that's the idea of a covenant, seeing covenant eyes. The eye part is what's fascinating is because in order to be held accountable, you need to be able to have access to what this other person is looking at on their phone. Well, where did they come up with this name? Well, the the name actually appears in a Bible verse from the book of Job where it says, I have made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? Well, how the app actually works is an individual, and again, these three predominant apps, they are focused primarily upon pornography. If an individual chooses to put this app on their phone, the app begins to track what they're seeing. There are some of the apps, Covenant Eyes, one of them, that every minute they are taking a shot of your screen. They are tracking where where you go on the web, what apps you're looking at. All of that information is tracked and put into a report, and that report is then given to the person who is designated as the one to hold you accountable. So what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this was marketed not only for individuals and families. I mean, it's one thing. If if a person decides that they have an addiction to pornography, which is really up in the air right now, People wrestle with this idea. It's so easy to say, well, it's such a thing. But then other people are going, is it really? Is there an addiction to pornography? But let's say someone has it in their life, and for some reason, they choose, they no longer want it. So they want someone to hold them accountable. The same. There's apps out there that do the same thing with dieting. Well, it's one thing if you, as an individual, choose that, and then you choose the person who's going to hold you accountable, and you choose someone who loves you, who cares for you, and is really concerned for your ultimate well-being. That's one thing. But what happens is when this app is being used by churches, and these apps, they're marketing churches, So what happens? Right after this break, you'll find out. The article in Wired Magazine, they really focused in upon one particular church, which had campuses spread throughout the world, literally, it's called Grace Point. Grace Point is primarily found in cities where there are large universities. Grace Point requires their leaders and their voluntary staff to have covenant eyes on their phones. It's a requirement. If you want to be a leader, if you want to volunteer, you have to have that on your phone. Story in the Wired magazine tells about a young man. He was getting $400 a month to help pay for his rent because he was going to school in Berkeley, really expensive to live in Berkeley. And one of the conditions to receive that money and meet with one of his volunteer staff from the church was to put it on his phone, to have coming at eyes on his phone. And it would be the church that would be holding him accountable. Well, why? Why Why would churches be interested in this? Well, Grace Point answered that question. And they did it by responding to an article by a mainstream evangelical magazine entitled Christianity Today. They picked it up, and they ran an article about it. And in return, they said the following. Grace Point said, the reason we do this is because we as a church have been called to welcome broken sinners... And save them by God's grace. So that's the first part. But it's the second part that piques my interest. That they would be discipling them into maturity of Christ. Think about that, discipleship. It implies immediately transformation, growth. So it's one thing in Christianity to be saved, which is often called justification. It's another thing to to beyond that which then it becomes sanctification. You're justified, and then you're sanctified. Sanctified means growth. It means transformation. And that's where confronting sin becomes necessary. Think about it. When you work out, you often will work upon those areas that are weaker so that you can get them strong and up to par with other areas. The same thing happens in discipleship if you have areas in your life which are a moral failure or a sin designated by another group or perhaps even yourself, then it becomes necessary to confront that. That's why these apps they see as important, because they see pornography as a sin. And to look at it, doesn't matter what kind, straight, LGBTQ, doesn't matter, but to look at pornography is a sin, and it needs to be dealt with. Well, what's the issue? I mean, if an individual chooses to go along with it, if the church says, hey, you need to do this, what's the big deal? Why are we even talking about this? Why did Wired Magazine write an article about it? Well, the question arises, can you truly consent Can you truly choose to have that app on your phone if it is being required by a church? Now, before you quickly answer that, just pause. Take a short break. Think about it. And when we come back, I'm going to give you my opinion. So, what's the big deal? Why why are we even talking about this? Well, the first question comes to consent. Can an individual consent to having that app on their phone if the church asks them to do it? The answer, I believe, is no. They cannot consent. Why? Well, wait, wait, wait. You may be saying, Tony, come on. They've made a choice. Choice implies consent. True. Unless unless you stop and realize that in order to have true consent, there must be equality in power. As soon as there becomes an imbalance in power, one loses the ability to give true consent. Well, think about that. A child, a young person, who is caught looking at pornography... Now they are required either by their parents or by the church to put that app on their phone. Well, a child, what kind of a choice is that? I mean, a parent basically can say to a child, a teenager, if you don't have this app on your phone, and if it's not running, I'm taking your phone away from you. This is what you got to do. Well, then it's a whole other question when it comes to adults. We could argue, well, wait a minute, a consenting adult. But can an adult truly consent when it comes to the church? Whether we like it or not, the church is seen as being some kind of authority. And the leaders of that church, and in particular pastors in that church, are seen as authority figures. They have power. So if that church... That pastor encourages an individual to put that app on their phone. Are they really consenting if they do it? Or are they feeling the pressure? Think about that young man I mentioned to you. What I didn't tell you is this young man, he was gay. He had been meeting with a volunteer staff leader and developed a relationship with him and told that individual that he was gay and the next time they met, that's when the staff leader said to him, you need to put this app on your phone. Condition? Well, not maybe not really, but the emphasis is there. Remember that $400 we're giving you? Uh-huh. You still want it? You still want to live in Berkeley? You still want to go to school at UC Berkeley? Uh, cooperate with us. The other concern I have about these apps is why the fixation on pornography? When you stop and think about it, there are a wide variety of moral failures that exist in our society, violent crimes. And if you want to talk about sexuality, the, the two that we do not talk about much in the church is adultery, and divorce. Why? Because it happens all the time. 50% of marriages end in divorce. The Bible speaks very strongly about divorce, but yet we don't talk about it as Christians. We don't have apps telling people, you know, are you committing adultery? Are you being loyal? Are you fulfilling your your marital vows by loving and supporting each other and developing and growing in sexual intimacy. For some reason, the evangelical community has fixated on pornography. Why? Why is that? Why is sex continually in Christianity coming back to the forefront Pornography, LGBTQ, what someone does with their own body, their gender, uh, reproductive rights, all of that seems to be a fixation. My question is, why? Why do we choose as Christians that moral failure to be our focus? Then the last one is the area of shame. Some individuals, instead of calling it accountability, apps, they call it spyware. There's another group of individuals who call these apps shameware, to shame someone. You know, short-term, shame can work. If you know that if you look at pornography, your pastor, your parent, a leader in the church is going to confront you with it, it's probably a good chance you're not gonna look at pornography or you're gonna figure a way around that app. Why? Because shame works. But shame only works for a period of time. It does not bring bring about true change. Another story that gives a perfect example of the dangers of these apps is of a young teenage girl she her parents discovered that she had looked at pornography through her phone her parents confronted her and told her that she needed to put this app on her phone they wanted to stop her from going down a what they perceived to be a very dangerous road well who was going to hold her accountable her parents and her pastor her parents and her pastor. What's interesting is something that has nothing to do with pornography took place. This young teenager on her phone Googled atheist. Wasn't very much longer that she received a phone call from her pastor saying that he would like to talk with her when she sat down with their pastor, he confronted her and asked her, why, why are you interested in finding out about atheism? Do we really want other people to have that much control of our lives? Now, I, again, I can understand where when you voluntarily ask someone to hold you accountable, and it's true consent, and this person that you've asked to hold you accountable, they are trustworthy. They really care about you as a person. I get that. But when a church and leaders of a church use an app as a form of discipling, of sanctifying a person, where does it stop? How much control does the church want over people's lives? Do we want to coerce? I don't know. I hope not. So my question to you, something for you to think about, is think about pornography. What do you actually believe about pornography? What is your view about it? Do you see it as a positive impact, having a positive impact or a negative impact, not only on your own life, but on society? And try to set aside all the ideas that have been placed upon you and really reflect upon it for yourself. How important of an issue is pornography for you? How much of a priority in your life is fighting and ridding society of pornography. Now, again, I know that I'm an example of it. I was taught at an early age that pornography was wrong. That record still plays in my mind. But there are times when I have to pause. And not only listening to that record, but other records that have been given and implanted in my mind and ask, what is it that I truly feel about this now? I, I encourage you to do that. Not encouraging you to hope you'll either approve of or disapprove of pornography. No agenda. But really stop and reflect upon it on your, for yourself. And the reason I'm asking you to do it is I'm going to do it. And next week, we're going to do part two and take a closer look at pornography. And why is it that Christianity continues to speak out against it? Is there a good reason? Or is it a way in which we control other people? I'm not sure where I'm going to come down on this yet. So I encourage you to come back next week See where I end up, and I will hope to see where you end up. I would love to hear from you. If you want to get a hold of me, please email me at media at beatitudeschurch.org. I would love to hear your thoughts and ideas around this issue. But until we hear each other again and mind the air, I hope you have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful day, and no matter what you're doing out there, stay safe. Take care.